Good morning, church. Hey, not bad. That was good. Let's keep right on going. I wake up on a Sunday morning and life is good and I'm celebrating Jesus because it's a particular good day. And, and, and because I want to do that, I decide I'm, I'm going to go to church and worship and praise God. And then I notice on the television schedule that there's a 10 o'clock Seahawks game. My precious. And, <laughs> and me thinks me, me, we will skip out of church. And, And the switch goes off because I pick my idol. Nobody was offended at the 8.30 or the 6 o'clock service with that line. If you're offended, so be it. Okay. Um, and so I, I, I go and I hang out and I spend a couple hours just kind of doing my own thing. And then we win. And it's awesome. And, and we celebrate that because obviously God loves us more than the entire state of Arizona, which is a good thing. And so... I, I want to celebrate that, and so I go to Facebook, and, and I want to be able to punch in the fact that I think that Russell Wilson should be the fourth member of the Trinity, and I get ready to post that, and then I see that somebody has actually posted something awful about me. That's unbelievable. Defriend. Dislike. And then I open up my email, and somebody sent me an inspirational video. What a friend we have in Jesus. And it's awesome. And because I'm at the computer, I just figure, well, now seeing that I'm here and nobody's bugging me, I should do some research. So I let my fingers do the walking and I wander through the internet, even though I know I should probably be outside playing with my kids or doing something constructive. And then dinner comes along and my wife says, hey, why don't you come down? Let's get something to eat. Children, let's pray. Let's invite Jesus to this table in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then I know I should have that hard conversation with my, life because I'm been, with my wife because I've been kind of psyching myself up for it, but I'm just really tired. So I crawl into bed at the end of the day and, Lord, thank you so much for a beautiful Sabbath. If you could get on that list of stuff I need you to get done, that would be awesome. We've been doing a series about that struggle. We've been asking a tough question. Does my faith come with an on-off switch? Why do I so quickly shift back and forth and seem to have no problem with it? If you've missed any of the weeks of the series, I want to catch you up very, very quickly. Here have been the big ideas. Number one, the goal is not behavior modification. The goal is Christ transformation. We're not trying to just modify our behavior. We're asking God for a complete revolution of the soul so that we actually do the right action for the right reason. Secondly, we've learned if Jesus died for it, I must die to it. Every sin is serious. I can call, I can rename it, doesn't make it less serious. I can put the word white in front of it, doesn't make it less serious. White lie, how does that work, right? And I ask the question, if every sin is serious and Jesus died for it, why do I continue to return to it over and over and over again? I must die to it because Jesus died for it. The third big idea is the power of the Christian life is not you. The power of the Christian life is Christ in you. We can't do this through positive thinking or sheer willpower. It's just not possible. No, we've been called to surrender and allow Christ to live inside of us out of his ownership every single day. Okay, so here's the deal. I'm going to read to you with my old man glasses. Um, my arms keep getting shorter. I don't understand, all right? But I'm going to read to you one of the toughest, most confusing chapters in the entire book of the Bible. I talked to a guy after the Saturday service. I'm like, so what'd you think? This was his response to the message. He went, blah, blah, blah. I don't know if that was good or not, okay? I'm going to read you an entire chapter of the book of Romans. It's deep stuff and I want you to stick with me. I'm going to warn you on the front end. The Bible's talking about rules today, 
We don't like talking about rules, right? There's something in us that got stuck as a four-year-old little narcissistic savage. You know, and as soon as people talk about rules, it's just like, you are not the boss of me. All right? We're going to unpack that. We're going to open it up. Let's face it. Some of the rules that we have in our world today do not make sense. My parents had a rule I, do, I still don't get. They used to say to my sister and I, fight nice. What? How does that work? I found an example of a rule. If I could get my picture from the state of Georgia, we're going to pick on the Georgians today. Under Georgia law, an equine activity sponsor or equine professional is not liable for an injury to or the death of a participant in equine activities resulting from the inherent risks of equine activities pursuant to Chapter 12 of Title 4 of the Official Code of Georgia Annotated. What in the world does that mean? It's just confusing, right? So we're going to walk through this together. We're not going to get stuck in the language. Because normally what happens is this. We get confused about something and our response is, I'm out. I, I, I don't even have this conversation with me. We're going to walk through this together. Now before I even start reading, I want to unpack the word law to you. Anytime you hear the word law in scripture, don't think police. Okay? Paul's referring, some of you have had experience with police. Yeah, okay, I get that. <laughs> Welcome to Christ the King. Good to have you. All right? When Paul talks about law, he's referring to the 613 Old Testament Jewish laws from the Old Testament that governed the nation of Israel. They were summarized in the top 10, which were known as the Ten Commandments. Here's what we all need to admit. Even though we give it our best effort, nobody in this room has a hope of getting the 613 right, much less the top 10. Not even close, right? And if you think you've been able to keep the top 10 perfectly in alignment, we have a class in denial that we need you to take soon, okay? Romans chapter 7. Can you tell I've had a lot of coffee this morning? Let's go, all right? Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to men who know the law? The law has authority over a man only as long as he lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he's alive. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. So then, if she marries another man while her husband's still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law. She's not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. So my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. Underline this next phrase if you're following. That you might belong to another. To him who was raised from the dead. In order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our body. So that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Everybody take a deep breath and keep going. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I wouldn't have known what sin was except through the law. But I would have not known what it was to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from law, sin is dead. Once I was alive, apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life in me and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me through the commandment and put me to death. So then, the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Take another deep breath and appreciate how hard it is for Mariette to keep up as she's interpreting this. All right? Verse 13. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, 
It produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I don't want to do, I agree the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Okay, that's a lot of stuff right there, isn't it? I mean, it's just a lot of language, right? Now, before we get ahead of ourselves, I want to caution you about something. Whenever you read your Bible, don't just take out a section and expect it to stand there by itself. We need to understand that there's something called the whole counsel of God that we are working on. I mean, we don't take out a section of another story and allow it to stand on its own. We would never do that. Let me give you an example from this great classic that I'm sure we are all familiar with. If I asked you one day to open in your text to page 28 and take a look at the second paragraph, third line from the end there, and we read together these amazing words, Lady Tremaine snatched the invitation and read it out loud. And her daughters, her daughters squealed with excitement when Cinderella asked if she could attend the ball too. Lady Tremaine reluctantly agreed. But only if you get all your work done, Cinderella, and only if you have something suitable to wear, she said with a nasty sneer. Now what we get from this particular text is that if you are a young lady here, this is challenging the fact that you need to have a good work ethic. And if you don't know what to wear, you should consult TLC's television show, What Not to Wear. And that will help you be ready for the workplace and your social calendar. Anybody read that to your, this story to your kids that way? We would never do that, right? No, we would start at the beginning, read all the way to the end, and especially join, uh, enjoy the passages about the mouse, because that's the best part of the whole story, right? <laughs> we do that with Scripture all the time. So as we walk through Romans 7, don't forget Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. Okay, in Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, the Bible says that we have been set free in Christ. We're dead to sin. It's dead. And now comes the challenge of trying to learn how to have this switch rewired permanently in the on position. When you're dealing with confusing scripture sometimes, sometimes it's best to not look at necessarily at what Paul is saying, but what he's not saying. So let me just walk through the passage and say what Paul's not saying. In Romans 7, Paul is not saying that the law, all of those rules, is bad. Okay, Paul's speaking to a partially Jewish audience, and he's not saying that the 613 Old Testament laws that they based their whole life on was bad. 
In fact, they weren't bad. They were good. They helped govern a mobile nation for centuries. God put those guidelines there for the nation of Israel's protection and help. And then Paul talks about a rule that governed marriage. Now, be careful. Don't just grab the first four verses of Romans 7 and say, well, that's how God must feel about divorce, remarriage, and adultery. Because you'd end up way out in the weeds on that one. That's not the point. Romans 7 here, Paul's giving us an illustration and his illustration is not saying this. Okay, make sure you get the word not in there so you're not confused, all right? Paul's not saying, I can be married to Jesus and have an ongoing affair with sin. But boy, a lot of us do that, don't we? Oh, I love Jesus, but I got this little thing on the side that I just kind of keep going. Oh, I love Jesus in public, but I've got this little vice, and the way that I justify it is as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. I think God will be fine with it. And Paul's like, no, no. If you're in a committed relationship with Jesus, all of your little indulgences are like committing adultery because you made a commitment and God made a covenant with you. What else is Paul not saying? Paul's not saying that God gave us rules to frustrate and kill us. I mean, when I was a kid, my parents' rules made no sense to me. Now that I'm a parent, I get it. I get it. I mean, my dad put rules in my life because he was trying to protect me from making the same mistakes that he made. My mom did exactly the same thing. They didn't want me to repeat the mistakes of the previous generation, so they put boundaries around there. God places boundaries around the lives of his children because he wants to protect you from yourself. It's a tough thing to receive sometimes. I think we should be thankful for his loving concern. What else is Paul not saying? Paul is not saying we are all helpless victims that are doomed to fail over and over and over again. I mean, Paul says this phrase that evil's right there with you, okay? Just because evil is right there with you doesn't mean you need to go the way of evil. You're not a helpless victim. If Christ is in you, he can attack evil and he can be victorious. That's what's coming up in Romans chapter 8. I can't wait to preach that stuff. You're not a helpless victim that has to just turtle up and wait for the inevitable. Paul would say, may it never be. May it never be. Here's one more element Paul's not saying. Paul's not saying that we will forever be stuck in verse 24. But boy, are we. So many of us get stuck at those words, right? What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? I'm a sinner Life is hard. There's no hope. I'm a bad person. I am constantly doomed to this. This is the rest of my life. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Oh, little break on Sunday. Monday, Tuesday. You understand that? Paul's not saying you're, you know, you're not stuck there. So if that's what Paul's not saying, then what is he saying? I think you could sum up Romans 7 with a simple question. Would you like to exchange the exhausting Christian life on, off, on, off, on, off, on, off? Would you like to exchange the exhausting Christian life to the exchanged Christian life where it's no longer you and your willpower, and your positive thinking. It's no longer you. Instead, it's Christ in you. Romans chapter 7. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, all of those rules, they taught me one thing. 
I need help. I need help. I mean, of all the rules, right, the top 10 can't keep them. 613 can't keep them. I mean, I can't even keep the rules I make for myself. You think you're different? How many times have you heard yourself say, I promise I am never going to do that again? 48 hours later, what are you up to? Right? Let's just be honest, right? I mean, I can't keep the 10, the 630, can't even keep the rules that I make up for me. I most certainly can't keep the rules that those really nice religious people start adding to the book. I grew up that way, right? Act this way, do this, don't do that, wear a tie, button your shirt, watch TBN, sing this, don't wrap that. I mean, all of it together, it's like, how in the world am I supposed to keep up with all of this stuff? All of that, Paul is saying, all of that convinced me of one truth. I can't do this. Exactly. We need help. I can't keep all of the rules. So I need someone to come and meet those requirements for me. Here's the good news of the entire book of Romans. That's exactly what Jesus did. He came and fulfilled every single one of the requirements. He fulfilled the law perfectly. He also had some very strong words to nice religious people who add to the rules in the book. Be very, very careful with that. Paul says, I need help. What else does Paul say? I love this little phrase. I belong to another. I love that. Let me rephrase the verse for you. So my brothers and my sisters, you have died to the rules and the regulations through the body of Christ who died for you that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead. That truth tells me I don't belong to sin. I don't, I don't belong to the rules anymore. I belong to another. And if I truly belong to Jesus, why would I continue to go back to the stuff that I hate doing? Why would I go back to the stuff that leaves me on Monday with a weekend full of regret? I mean, this ring represents something. It represents that I belong to another. I've belonged to this other for 25 years this coming June. And she's going to be here at the 1137 service. She's the cutest girl in the room, always sits over here on my left. All right? I belong to another. This ring symbolizes that truth. I belong to another. If you are a follower of Jesus, that cross means you belong to another. You don't belong to sin anymore. You don't belong to the rules anymore. You belong to Jesus, and your whole life's passion should be about making Jesus live deep inside of you. What else is Romans 7 saying? Romans 7 is saying God gave us the gift of guidelines to protect us. Before I got married 25 years ago, God gave me a guideline about marriage. Thou shalt not commit adultery a good guideline. 25 years of being a pastor, I've seen adultery up close and personal. I've seen it in other relationships, and I have learned something to be true. Faithfulness is hard, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Adultery is brutal. It's forgivable, but it's brutal. God never wants me to experience that kind of pain. So he put a guideline in there to protect me from that kind of pain. Grant, if you're going to every, get everything you want out of your marriage, don't commit adultery. That's good wisdom. And because I know who I'm talking to here at Christ the King, I know. I just saw a whole bunch of heads start looking down at the floor. You're okay, all right? Because some of you are responding, I didn't commit adultery, but adultery was committed towards me. 
Can I just say that? I'm sorry that you had to live through that pain. And all I would ask is this. If you are a follower of Jesus, can you find it in your heart to forgive in the same way that Jesus forgave you? And I'll leave that for your prayerful consideration. What else is Paul saying in Romans 7? Paul's saying, I'm free in Christ to choose his way in every situation through his power and not my own. I mean, this is the human struggle, isn't it? I want to do good, but I don't. I know I should get involved in that, in that office situation with that one person because they're taking advantage of them and, and someone needs to stand up for justice for them, but I'm just too busy. I know I should write down accurately what it is that I make on my income tax forms, but after all, the government already gets too much of their own. I'm going to put my own number in there. I know I should fill out the, the, the invoice correctly as to how many hours I actually did in working on that car, but, but you know what? We're struggling a little bit at home, so I'm going to pad it just a little bit. I want to do good but I find myself not doing good over and over and over again because evil is right there with me. My friends, I've got a question. Could it be that we get stuck in that place because we've forgotten who is in us? Could it be that I've become a victim of sin because I've forgotten who I am in Jesus? Because of my job, I sit at a computer a lot. I know what I can access through that computer. I can let my fingers do the walk. I can go all over the place with the internet. But I know something because of Romans. It's not my hand. These are not my eyes. This is not my mind. The mouse doesn't even belong to me. If Christ is truly in me, if I belong to another, then I'm free in Jesus to choose his way in every single situation. I can even choose Jesus in the middle of temptation. Jesus faced off. Evil was right there with him. Come on, Jesus, throw yourself down. Come on, Jesus, turn the stones to bread. You want to know what you were supposed to do in those moments? You're supposed to hit him with the word. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If you need to know how to make the devil shut up, you hit him with the word. Not your wisdom, not your effort. You smack him around with scripture. That's what the Bible says we're supposed to do. I can choose the godly in every situation because that's the choice that Jesus would make. But boy, we get stuck in verse 24. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Okay. Allow me to get gross for just a second, all right? When Paul wrote those words, he knew that a Roman mind was going to picture something. And I think we need to picture it so we understand it. When Paul wrote the phrase, body of death... He was talking about what the Romans did with a murderer. Romans were very creative when it came to dealing with people who liked to kill other people. One of the punishments they came up with is they would take a living murderer and they would strap a corpse, a human corpse, to them. They would take a dead body and they would wrap a chain around both of their necks. So they were literally staring death in the face. If you want to know where that phrase came from, you just figured it out. They would chain their wrists together. They would change their upper chest together. They would chain their knees together. And for the rest of that murderer's days, they would drag around that dead corpse. 
until the rot and the infection began to infect them, and it was only a matter of time until they were dead. Paul's saying, there's a corpse, your old nature, and it's been strapped to you, and it will infect you, and it will steal your life, but, but, Jesus came to break off those chains, to remove that body of death and to indwell inside of you through the power of the Holy Spirit so that you didn't have to live dragging around death with you. Instead, you could live wrapped in the life that Jesus gave. It's the beauty of Romans. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, I've been rescued from sin by Jesus Christ. I mean, let me read the whole section without stopping. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from the body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through who? Through Jesus. Through me? Absolutely not. Through my best effort to try and keep all the rules? Absolutely not. No, through Jesus and Jesus alone. That's Romans 7. You know, the truth is people have been dealing with this for ages. I mean, the apostle Paul, you'd think if anybody could figure this out, it'd be Paul, right? Martin Luther, one of the great German reformers. He read the book of Romans and he freaked out. He goes, I, I read this book and it says to me that, that grace doesn't come through work. Grace comes through faith in Jesus. That was a revolutionary thought that time in history. He wrote out 95 theses, walked to the Wittenberg door, nailed them up. And the rest is history. Martin Luther, you think, I mean, Paul struggled to figure it out. Luther, I mean, all of these different guys trying to figure this out. Martin Luther once said this, when I became a Christian, I thought I had drowned the old man in me, only to find out the rascal could swim. <laughs> we all have the struggle. Welcome to being human. The question is this. If we know now that following Jesus can be exhausting when it's all about our will and our will power, do we now understand that instead of it being exhausting, it could be both exhilarating and exciting if we could just exchange me for Christ in me? That's so desperately what God wants for us. So here's the deal. Monday's coming. It's Sunday, right? All on. I'm going to promise you something. I'm going to get to your desk, or maybe your controls, or maybe your steering wheel, whatever it happens to be, and, and, and you're going to start your day off, and I'm going to promise you something. G evil's going to be right there with you. You're going to drive the guide, and somebody's going to pull in front of you, and you're going to commit murder in your brain. Your spouse is going to say something and it's going to tick you off and evil and venom is going to come spewing out of your mouth. You're going to be tempted to do something and evil's going to be there chirping right away. Don't make the mistake of thinking that the answer is to invite Jesus to come and sit on the other side. If you have a God is my co-pilot sticker on your car, take it off. God is not interested in being your co-pilot. Jesus controls the plane. If the plane goes up, 
I go with him. If the plane's going down, I want to go with him. He's got this thing about coming back from the dead. That would make sense to me. Don't make the mistake of thinking Jesus wants to passively stand beside you and just cheer in your ear. That's not what makes him God. No, on your Monday and on your Tuesday, when evil's right there with you, you just invite Jesus to sit down. And you tuck yourself in behind him because it's his holiness and his righteousness and his purity that will make evil tuck its tail and run. It's his beauty, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. It's all about him. It has nothing to do with us. It's not about me. It's Christ in me. And when he takes over and he directs and he moves and he steps into temptation with us, inside of us, that allows us to have that godly response. And that allows us to stand back and say, it's about him. He is my savior. He is my king. He is my God. He is my Lord. He's my redeemer. He is my savior. He is my helper. He is my healer. He is my provider. Can I get an amen from somebody? He is everything that I am not. Welcome to living Romans 7. Never higher than his feet. Never sharing his throne. Jesus and only Jesus. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Let's pray this morning. God, thank you for walking us through a tough chapter. God, I can't wait to get to Romans 8 because, boy, do you turn it up a notch. But, Lord, as we sit in Romans 7 and we, and we admit and confess that we tend to be off and on and off and on and off and on, Father, we believe you've given us the solution today. Lord, may we live this week Christ in us, the hope of glory. Fathers, we struggle with the old nature. I pray that you would, that you would overtake us, God. Overtake our eyes, our ears, our mouths, our tongue, our hands, our feet. Lord, we make ourselves holy and completely subject to you. Because you are our great Savior, our great King. Lord, we are wretched people. But in you, you've declared us to be saints. Followers of Jesus. Family. Recipients of grace, mercy, forgiveness. So may we live in that this week, I pray. Father, as we turn our hearts to worship now, we place you in that rightful, beautiful place. Lord Jesus, would you take the throne in this moment? Would you be the object of our affection? God, we, we refuse to be bound by idols, the idols of our culture the idols of our heart, the idols of our apathy. Lord, and we ask, Jesus, would you take your rightful place on the throne? We declare 
We are never higher than your feet. Lord Jesus, would you come and have your will and your way in us this week? We surrender full control. And we pray these things in Jesus' powerful name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So we're not done. We're not done. Now we get to respond. Now we, we get to fight against the urge that just says, ah, church is over, we're done, click. No, now we get to respond. Now we get to sing back to the King, to our Savior. So I'm going to ask you in just a moment, we're going to stand together, we're going to sing. After we sing this song, we're going to worship God together. Then Ryan will give us instruction of giving back to God our tithes and our offerings. We're going to celebrate that all the way through the end of the service. So I'm going to invite you as a church. Just stand to your feet now and let's worship the God who has given Christ to us and in us. Let's all stand together.